This is the Travel Freedom Podcast. I'm Tomo. And I'm Megzi. And it's time to collect your ticket to world travel and a location-independent lifestyle. Every Monday, we talk travel and money. Ultimate travel hacking tips and destination advice recorded on location. We also interview digital entrepreneurs who reveal the methods to creating a location-independent online income. So subscribe on iTunes now and discover travel freedom for yourself with the Travel Freedom Podcast. This is Money Mondays, episode 064. In this episode, we are talking about how to get into creating physical products for your online business. Our guest Jeremy from Tortuga Backpacks shares tips on building products that can actually displace the current market products that are available. Look at the competition. What are they doing wrong? And then solve that problem, like design something to solve a problem as opposed to just adding something new to the market. Jeremy also explains how having a perfect customer avatar in place is essential for designing a product that will actually sell. The ideal user of a Nike product is Michael Jordan. He's also the greatest basketball player ever. So they've had only one person ever buy their product who's Michael Jordan, but you want to design that product for Michael Jordan. Let's say you're designing a travel backpack. We're kind of like designing it for Rolf Potts. Let's say he's the, the Michael Jordan of this game. You're not designing it for Betty and Tom going on their first trip to Europe when they're 50 years old. Like they want to travel like Rolf Potts. They don't want to travel like themselves. Be designing stuff for that kind of ideal user. Don't like broaden your product or dumb it down. Hey everyone! Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to our final show of 2015. We're, we're, mm-hmm, we're, we're indeed. Uh, very quick announcement before we get started. We are taking another break in January. We've just got loads of stuff on at the moment and uh, podcast production. There's just so much time, so time consuming. Sorry. So, sorry, we want to do more, but we just haven't got time to do it in January. So we're taking January off and then we'll be back in February and then we're probably taking March off as well because our Travel Blog Virtual Summit is coming up where we'll be teaching people how not only do we make money from travel blogging, but we're getting in loads and loads of really top travel bloggers to talk about how they make a load of money from travel blogging. And not just travel bloggers as well, just people who are making money online. Yeah, people who are connected with the, the industry. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's all focused on the travel industry though. So if you're working in the travel industry, go to travelblogsummit.com and register for your, your free pass. There's a free pass and a paid pass coming as well for the the more premium content, but you get a little free pass as well. It'll get you into some of the basic content, which will definitely give you some really good information on making money online if you're in the travel sector. All right. So anyway, this episode, episode 64, we're talking about physical products this week. Scary, huh? It is scary. This is the one thing I think with online business that I've been 100%. I'm just not going to get into physical products. It's it's a little bit like, oh my God, Gotta invest money and you gotta get prototype and like what if what if it breaks? What if nobody likes it? What if no one likes it? But of course, loads and loads of people are making an absolute fortune out of doing this. And if you do all the right market testing and you get your prototypes out and you get people to check that they do actually like these things, you do proper market research, then there is no reason why you can't make a load of money out of this, right? Absolutely. It's a hugely scalable business. Once you find people are actually buying it, you make more and sell more and product gets out there. Yeah. And Jeremy, who we're talking today, is from Tortuga Backpacks. He is now selling lots and lots of backpacks. It's a tough road at the start, as he'll yeah. explain. But, you know. And it all just came from not being able to find a backpack that he wanted. Yep, and just going, we need a proper travel backpack that'll actually work for people who want to be carry-on only. Yep, so today we're biting the bullet and deciding to learn all about it. Yes. Embracing our fear of Will we get over products. those fears? Will we get over the fears? Maybe or? one day. Oh, well, maybe we will. Who knows, we might one day go into physical products. But we definitely learned a lot from Jeremy in this episode because he's really been through the whole mill on everything. They made a ton of mistakes at the start. He's going to tell us about how they 
actually solved that, turned everything around and started making a real profit on their business. So yeah, some of the key things that we're going to be talking about, how do you know if there is a market for your product? And that's always a scary bit, right, for any product, whether yep. it's information products or whether a physical product, but very scary for physical products. We want to know how do you figure it out? How did they figure it out? Yeah. Um, also, how to get your product in front of the right audience. Yeah. you got to have some sort of content promotion plan to get it out there. If you're independent and you don't have millions of dollars to spend like the big companies do on advertising, then you've got to have another way to do that. We'll be talking about that. Can you design the product yourself? Are yeah. you a designer? If not, maybe you should get someone else to do it. Yeah, if you're going into a big industrial production, it's more than just doing a scribble on a piece of paper of what you want. Yeah. So we'll be talking about the real realities of making sure that you get something that the that can be manufactured properly. Yeah. And what do you actually need to think about before choosing a manufacturer? Actually, there's more to think about than you'd expect, more than we expected. So we learned a lot from Jeremy on this one. And of course, the rookie mistakes that yes. all first-timers make. There will be lots Everybody of rookie mistakes. Does it. rookie mistakes and what to do about it so you don't make those mistakes when you're starting your own physical product. Anyway, yes, so we know zero about this product and we're really keen to learn from someone who has actually been through it all and come out the other side with a Digital Nomad backpack. That is really one of the best products on the market. So let's get into that interview right now. Okay, today on the show we've got Jeremy from Tortuga Backpacks. Um, their backpacks are perfectly designed for carry-on travelers, just like us, especially digital nomads, also just like us. Today we're going to actually be chatting mainly about the whole running and business side of that physical product and creating backpacks or creating your own product. We really want people at the end of this show to be able to walk away going, if I want to make a product myself, this is some ideas, this is where I can get started. So we're going to go right from the beginning on that. Okay, so Jeremy, how's it going? It's going great. Uh, hello, hello. Hey, what's happening? Where are you? I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, it's the, I guess it's the night of the Star Wars premiere here. So uh, I'm very excited. I'm going to see the show at 11 p.m. We're kind of like at opposite times of uh, time poles or if something, if you want to say it. Yeah, 12 hours apart. Awesome. Yeah. More. Have most Americans been living in fear for the fact that the rest of the world got to see Star Wars before you did? Uh, yeah, I, the entire internet is just uh, kind of like one bad meme about no spoilers. But I, I do appreciate it. I, I feel like there is like, especially Los Angeles right now, so much excitement about it. And, uh, you know, one of the big reasons I kind of, you know, gotten to everything I do is because of Star Wars. So how can you not uh, kind of be hyped up for it? Yeah, a lot of backpacks in Star Wars, so that makes sense. <laughs> They're everywhere. Well, how, that's how Boba Fett flies with a Tortuga. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. But this is because you actually have a secret life in another industry to do with movies, right? That's, that's what you're actually referring to. Yeah, so kind of by way of background, so my co-founder and the CEO of Tortuga Backpacks is Fred Parada. Fred and I grew up together in a tiny little shitty town outside of Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania. It's called Newcastle, and we went to college at the same university, University of Maryland. Then we both moved to California together. I went to film school at the University of Southern California. Fred started working Google, and I think we are 23 or 24, we kind of took a big trip to Eastern Europe for several weeks. Our backpacks really sucked, and somehow despite you know taking out thousands of dollars of student loans and Fred kind of being at the beginning of like a career we uh, we decided like hell we should uh, we should start a backpack company because no one in America likes backpacks we like so we just kind of did it and a lot of originally it was kind of with we wanted to like Fred especially on the trip just caught the travel bug big time he wanted to free up a lot
lot of time for travel. I knew I kind of want to make some money doing uh, something else, honestly, so I could do what I wanted in the film industry. And uh, we started a company. Well, there you go. Just and like it that. is uh, the funny thing. We continuously find ourselves sitting back and laughing at the backpackers who get around with these big framed backpacks that are just really not designed for for backpacking. Yeah, like, if you want to go out in the wilderness, we do have this discussion all the time because there's backpacking and backpacking. There's English backpacking and American backpacking. Yes. So, and people get very confused between the two. Yeah, we call it hiking. Yeah. It's much easier. It's got a different word. <laughs> I completely agree. And, you know, the thing is, like, Fred and I are both uh, – you know, kind of very anal retentive. So we spent weeks and weeks kind of researching like who makes the perfect backpack to go backpacking Europe. And I guess the answer is nobody did. So Fred ended up with kind of a, a shitty but lightweight backpack designed for hiking. And I bought this really old Jansport bag off of Craigslist, which was purportedly designed for backpacking, but, you know, kind of broke right away and it weighed too much. And so we just spent a lot of the trip kind of talking about like in our perfect nerd brains what would we build and then we set out to to kind of build it but how did you decide that this was actually going to be a business you could make a profit with what was the the thinking I guess a couple of things. We had both been thinking about starting a business and like reading. And I think both of us kind of started with a four hour work week perspective and framework. Yeah. And Ferris lays out a bunch of stuff like make an expensive product that you can make a, de- a decent profit margin on. You know, if you make something premium, it's it's easier to charge some money. And I think the biggest thing was also like be the first in a product category. And we were both so aware that there was no perfect travel backpack there were backpacks that people were using for travel and i think at that moment we decided like oh we can make money doing this fred had already had like an internet marketing background he's got an incredibly brilliant analytical brain and you know we just kind of started doing a bunch of research and i think just like with some really silly you know back of the envelope math we we just thought we can make money doing this um so we got started very very cheap which i think nobody thinks you can do i mean we probably started you know the whole company for about 20 grand or something like that. And I don't think people, you know, have any conception. You can start like a physical product company that cheaply. We did. We were both supporting ourselves in different ways. And then we just kind of refused to quit. You know, it probably took about four four years till we started selling like any significant number of bags. But we both had different ways to support ourselves. And we just uh, we just kind of kept going. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Four years. I had no idea it took you that long. I I got this impression like as soon as it came out, everyone was like, oh my God, a backpack was actually the right backpack and everyone started buying it. (laughs) Well, you know, that's honestly what we expected the first time around. Our first order backpacks Number one were ugly. Number two, they were the first you know order that we purchased that we had designed. They were ugly. They were imperfect. You know the logo was too big. All those kind of things. But it was like a perfect test. It's but we started in two thousand nine before Kickstarter came along. So you know we ordered uh, whatever it was a hundred, couple hundred bags that we had made in the United States. So they were very expensive for us to buy. But we saw that people wanted to buy the bag even though they were imperfect, and it gave us kind of a lot of hope. Um, that we were onto something with the product and we knew we could make a better version of it. So we, uh, and all, all the credit here goes to Fred for really like kind of being brilliant with the marketing 
and we just had a really started building our blog out and we kind of kept on building the readership of the blog and explaining to people what we were doing and why they should be excited for what we were doing. And finally, you know, we sold out of the initial run. We ordered more. We had to wait a while. And I can kind of talk about how we, you know, we got to this point, like in designing and all this stuff. But, um, you know, people were so excited about it that we just sold a huge number instantly. And then for about a year had a hard time uh, making enough bags to keep them on the shelves. Yeah, awesome. So it, it turned out pretty well in the end. Um, yeah, well, here, here we are now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we, we definitely want to get into a little bit about how you designed it and how you got set up because we have jumped straight ahead to the success part. And we know that uh, the pre-success part is always the hard bit. So, yeah, yeah. Did, did you actually, could you design the backpack yourself or did you have to hire someone to do that? No, we had to hire someone to get to the success part. It all sounds really easy, but it was about five years and a lot of phone calls of Fred and I talking about, you know, are are we just crazy? Are people going to continue to buy these? What's going to happen? Should, should we put this uh, amount of money on our credit cards? Should we take out this small loan? Whatever. So uh, there were kind of like a lot of, I don't know, very scary nights in there, but we, we kept on going. So the first time around, what we did is we... Uh, you know, very first step, as silly as it sounds, is we bought a website and we probably, you know, we bought the domain name tortugabackpacks.com. We probably put up some kind of like really temporary website. And then we hired an industrial designer. I think uh, we went on elance.com or something like that. We hired a very nice guy. He's a guy, you know, still associated with Carryology, And he got us started. We We had very little money to pay him. And, you know, let's say that contract was for you know, three or $5,000. And he made us like, you know, we told him our ideas. He, we cut out a bunch of pictures online of things we liked, point him in the right direction, gave him some like very broad strokes of like the kind of simplistic, simple design we were into, minimalistic design we were into. And then he built us some blueprints. And um, I think one of the hiccups, which we had no idea at the time was uh, in the initial design brief, we said that we wanted him to help us find a factory to make these. But lo and behold, nobody really wants to make a run of under 500 backpacks. You know, it's not very profitable for a factory, especially working with first timers and the time Fred and I, you know, we probably looked like kids. Everybody was thinking like, who are these two idiots coming to waste time in our factory? And it was really hard. It was really, you know, we always thought we were going to manufacture in China initially, but we couldn't, you know, uh, the designer at the time didn't have the connections. We didn't have the connections. We couldn't afford to go to China. We ended up manufacturing with someone based in Orange County. And especially at the time, you know, it would have been about 2009, 2010, manufacturing was doing really horribly here. A lot of manufacturing in the United States is propped up by uh, the government buying stuff for the military. So they're not interested in making like small runs of stuff. It was kind of before Los Angeles and Brooklyn and San Francisco has had taken off with like manufacturing, like high end kind of boutique stuff again. So, um, you know, we had these bags and it was an imperfect process. Uh, and the guy kind of jerked our chain a lot and it took months and months longer than we hoped for. And we couldn't even afford to get more prototypes ton. And at some point we realized like, Oh, if we want to have these bags made, we have to, 
say, yes, that's how much money we have in the bank. And and we did it. And then slowly, you know, selling 10 bags a month, we sold out. But the second time around, we were connected to a great designer based uh, in Pittsburgh. And we worked with him to to redesign our flagship product, the Tortuga. And he helped us design another product called the Air, which is a kind of midsize bag, to, you know, for kind of ultra light carry on people like me or Fred or also for people uh, just traveling for a weekend domestically. And uh, a third product, and it was uh, it was a great collaboration. But that was both, you know, more expensive. We ended up paying him uh, significantly more per per round of designs, and he helped connect us with a, a factory in China. Even was as we were redesigning the first product with the second designer, it was a very hard process. We started working with a uh, a factory in China. We tried to be very clear that uh, we were only going to be able to afford, let's say, you know, I think it was maybe a thousand bags that first run in China, maybe even less than that, maybe five hundred. Somewhere along the way, something was lost in translation and they we went through the whole process of prototyping and making samples and everything. And that that takes months and months and months. So we wasted six months and they said to us, oh, you have to make 5000 bags or something like that. And we couldn't afford it. And we had to start that whole process again with uh, with another factory. But, um, you know, once we started having some revenue coming in from those redesigned bags, uh, one of the most important things we ever did was we sent Fred to China and Fred started working more hand in hand with our factory um, in China. And, you know, right now we we have an employee, a full time person in China that works with our factories and scouts out new manufacturers. But uh, it's really hard getting started in China. And we had a couple kind of consultant people that helped us along the way and did quality control. But yeah, that, that's a lot of me talking. Why don't keep keep asking me questions here? I don't know if I'm going the right direction. Well, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just really interested in the like, you know, you said it's a really hard process. And, you know, you obviously came up against your fish of obstacles. How is it that you guys sort of powered through? How did you know that this was something that was going to be a product that was going to be successful in the end? Well, I think uh, a couple of things. Number one, we were the first people in our niche. Like we really decided we were going to make a niche product. We, we decided we we're going to make the, the ultimate travel backpack for urban for urban travelers. Basically, backpackers tend to be people like in their in their 20s and 30s, kind of uh, oftentimes, especially in the United States, they're going on like the trip of a lifetime. They graduate uh, college, parents are paying for a big trip for them. They work through their 20s, they save up a bunch of money, they're switching jobs, they go to Europe for three months. Those, you know, for more European and Australian people, that would be a gap year. That's not as, that's certainly nowhere near as big a deal here. And then hopefully like a lot of those people get hooked on that kind of travel. So no one, we weren't competing with anybody for a long time. And then all of a sudden, like there were just straight up copycats of us. Like I'll call them out by name. Like mine all came out on, um, on Kickstarter and they had just used a bunch of our kind of like marketing terms and, uh, and, you know, almost just like the straight up copy for our site. And instead of getting mad, we just thought like, wow, this is incredibly flattering. Like they think we have a good business and they're going to like try to do the same thing as us. I think e-bags kind of came out with a bag that was basic like a Tortuga ripoff down to the coloring, like REI kind of start doing something more similar to uh, what we're doing. So we knew there was demand out there. And, and at the same time, we were growing our blog and Fred was just doing a ton of research into like, you know, what people were searching for. And we started realizing like a lot of people wanted to like, wanted to carry on backpack and that, that didn't exist for them. So we just like, you know, we knew that there was the search volume online for it. And we were just, just determined to like solve the problems that those people had and, and be the backpack of choice. 
Yeah. So, I mean, we wanted to talk about the blogging side of things as well, because you, you came up with the product idea before you started the blog, right? Correct. Yes. C- completely correct. And I think Fred, um, you know, even by the time we started the company, I think he knew that, like, I think he was the very kind of vanguard of, you know, quote unquote, content marketing. And when we started the company, Fred left Google after four years. And then he started working kind of as freelance consultant in San Francisco for funded companies doing content marketing for them. So I think he would learn and experiment with like, you know, lots of companies with, let's say, whatever, 20 or 50 million dollars of VC money in the bank. He would do stuff for them and then like take those lessons back to Tortuga. And he just kind of like had a great game plan. I mean, he he was the mastermind of the blog and, you know, we would both write for it. Fred would write more. Um, but he, he just like led us towards it. And, you know, it was all about like helping people who, who needed help. Like how could we provide packing lists? How could we tell people about TSA regulations? How could we, uh, tell people how to travel for like multiple, multiple climates? Like if somebody had a question who was going to search for it, we were going to answer it for them. And that was kind of what our blog was going to be about. So you guys almost started, uh, the promotion for your backpacks through like doing SEO research of what people were looking for and then giving them the answers and then being like, Hey, by the way, we've got this kick-ass backpack. Is that correct? Yes. And, you know, maybe even like a broader way, we just decided we're going to help people like we knew what the product was before we ever did like any uh, SEO research, like straight up, like we knew we had like we were going to make the ultimate travel backpack. And we started with that. And then Fred did a tremendous amount of SEO research and even, you know, there are all kinds of uh, things we've done along the way and I am not a SEO guru, um, but, you know, yeah, we, we've certainly like done a lot of that and uh, we were sold out for quite a while and we just kept on doing more and more content marketing and like SEO I'd say strategic gamesmanship. And, you know, one thing we we realized is people would Google us and Google, let's say, Go Ruck or, or mine all at the same time. And we we said, well, clearly people want to, like, learn about, like, our product versus the competition. And we would put up pages that would say, like, this is what mine all offers and this is what we offer. This is what we're better at. This might be what they're better at. Here are the prices. Make a decision for yourself. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that's uh, sorry, uh, balanced of you. <laughs> there's, no, there's no anger in this business. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, w- well, the other, th- I mean, I think we just try to be like, you know, there's no no point in getting getting mad at our competition, and you know, I think, well, we think we make a better product than uh, than everybody else, and uh, may as well just give people the facts. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. All good. All right. So yeah, the blogging side of things. I know it's a lot of people uh, who listen to this show are actually bloggers. So. Uh, if people are looking at sort of building their own product, I know what we advise is like possibly you want to start a new blog around the product like you guys have rather than trying to fit it into what your current travel blog is about. Oh, yeah, I I completely agree because, you know, let's say you do have a travel blog. It's probably about your adventures or what you like or maybe it's even like a way for you to find, you know, for you to review products and get some products and stuff like that. You're not like helping other people specifically. Maybe you're entertaining them, but like your blog has to be like, how do you help people with the same problem that you're trying to solve? That That is your blog. Like I can tell you what you should be blogging about and what you should be podcasting about and whatever, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, yeah, we always try and advise people that. I mean, we've got like five blogs now, which is ridiculous. I, I don't have even so know. so many Twitter accounts. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's getting crazy. We've got different blogs for different things because, yeah, you can't throw it all into one bucket. It just doesn't work. So, yeah, trying to... The other thing I would recommend, like, let's say you are getting into this blogging game, do two things. Basically, be transparent and explain your process to people. The more people will trust you, get involved in the story of the company and the product and want to buy your product. We start manufacturing in China at some point. And obviously, a lot of people in the United States just love love the term like made in the USA or kind of give a little bit more credibility to things manufactured in the United States. And we wanted to let everybody know that, you know, number one, better stuff is made in China. You know, Apple makes their stuff in China. And number two, uh, it's not necessarily that cheap. And here are the exact reasons why we uh, we started manufacturing in China. But tell people this stuff. And obviously, I mean, I think Buffer has been a giant example for us and they do it better than just about anybody else. But uh, we just try to be like, you know, really transparent about stuff. And, you know, sometimes people are hesitant to do that. But I think people online really dig it yeah i think you might as well be transparent i like that's what people want now that seems to be the way things are going there's just so much bullshit on the internet that people just want to know that they're getting the true story and they're getting the facts from people now if you're going to say something like we have the world's best designed or world's toughest or whatever product like you know you you better explain how or why or you know people are just going to think it's nonsense yeah that's uh would you see like when people say this is the best in the world, it's like what? How how can you quantify that? <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. According to who, other than you? <laughs> like, I think I saw an advert for American Eagle Outfitters or something, and it said like uh-huh. America's best jeans brand, and like as decided by who? American Eagle yeah. Outfitters. Like by marketing yeah, department. Like, the marketing department of Eagle Outfitters have decided we're the best. Like seriously. <laughs> But yeah, the word best just has lost all meaning at the moment. It's uh, it's a disaster. <laughs> anyway, getting off topic as we do, as we often do. Yeah, okay, so let's maybe go through some practical, actionable type tips that if people want to start designing their own product, what is the first step that they need to think about? Like, what is the most important thing from day one? Actually, I'll tell you what it is. It's what problem are you solving for people? And you can kind of start there. Like what's a pain point? And I think Fred and I always try to design for ourselves. So what's a pain point you're having? Pinpoint that pain point. That's pretty amazing. Uh, Pinpoint that pain point. (laughs) And then figure out why no, like look at the competition. So what are the, let's say you're going to, your scissor, I'm looking at a pair of scissors. You're going to design a pair of scissors that cut a specific kind of paper well, and you can't find other scissors that do that. Like look at the competition. What are they doing wrong? And then solve that problem. Like design something to solve a problem as opposed to just adding something new to the market. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, just bringing some bringing out a pair of purple scissors is not really going to help that many people. It's just going to be like great for people who like purple. Maybe there's a lot of people that like purple. Maybe that's what it is. I like, but you need to do some research to find out how many people (laughs) love purple that much. Then the other thing is I think you want your product to be as, as niche as niche. However, I never really know how to say that word properly in a podcast. Oh, no one knows. You want your product to be as kind of niche as possible and don't be scared of it being too, too niche. And 
eventually all your marketing is going to be for like that ideal user of the product, like the most hardcore person in that niche. You know, we hired a a new full-time designer to work for Tortuga and he was talking about Nike and like the ideal user of a Nike product is Michael Jordan. He's also the greatest basketball player ever. So they've had only one person ever buy their product who's Michael Jordan. But you want to design that product for Michael Jordan, just like, you know, maybe if you're designing uh well, you know, let's say you're designing a travel backpack. We're kind of like designing it for, you know, Rolf Potts. Let's say he's the the Michael Jordan of this game. You're not designing it for uh, you know, Betty and Tom going on their first trip to Europe when they're 50 years old, like they want to travel like Rolf Potts. They want to travel like Fred travels. They don't want to travel like themselves. So, um, you know, be designing stuff for that kind of ideal user. Don't don't like broaden your product or dumb it down. Yeah, we hear about this concept a lot in other industries, part of the industries when you're planning like a podcast, you should have an ideal listener, like an avatar is what some people call it. Um, so just having that person in mind and you can even write a profile for them. That's what we did when we built the podcast. Who they actually, are, what their background is. What, what was they, our guy called? Uh, I'm pretty Jim, certain we Jim called something. him Brian oh, because we were watching Life of Brian, Life of Brian that's at right. that time. <laughs> a little bit too much Monty Python going on. <laughs> Yeah, so exact characteristics that that person has, exact needs that that person has, and then every time you try to make a decision, you base your decision around what what Brian would want. What would Brian want? (laughs) And then eventually you're going to have to hire a designer. So you're making a physical product, and that, you know especially the first time you do it, it's going to be hard to hire uh, that designer and you're probably not going to be able to afford the greatest person in the world. But, you know, talk to lots of people. It can even be hard to start talking to people. You know, let's say you're starting a company with ten or $20,000. A lot of people aren't going to work for you. Whatever. You're going to have to get used to communicating in pictures. So we use Skitch uh, a whole ton. I don't even know if Skitch existed when we first started the company, but just get used to like, you know, taking snapshots of what's on your screen and then marking it up with lots of arrows. Eventually, you're going to be talking to uh, Chinese people at your factory who, you know, hardly speak English. And again, you're going to have to speak in pictures to them. And, you know, you can, it's very easy to say something like, we want a design that's very elegant. And and minimal, but also modern. None of those words mean anything. You need to start like being able to like present people with pictures. Yeah, just you know, being able to point out exactly what you like and don't like is uh, is really useful. How about uh, touching on pricing of a product just really briefly? Because I have a feeling that people just starting out have a tendency to underprice their stuff. How was it that you guys came about pricing your product and whether you felt it was enough for you guys or was it purely a financial decision for, for that? Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I'll be pretty open about this. So uh, the I think we always had a gut feeling we wanted to sell at about $200. When we first, we got our first bags made in the United States and they were preposterously expensive. So we had to start selling them at $250 to make, you know, really like any kind of margin at all. They weren't selling well enough at 250 and I think we probably even got some feedback. It was a little too high. We moved to 200, which again, felt right. And we started selling a little bit better. 
of course, that's, you know, that's that's nice. But then when we moved to China, our margins went up because, you know, we were buying more. It was also, you know, we were getting a better product at a cheaper price. But it's it's probably going to be impossible. But like you really want to like, you know, maybe like a six X multiple or something like that, like a five X multiple um, for your physical product. Um, and you're really not going to make any money because you're going to have other costs until you start probably getting to like a three or four X uh multiple of being able to like set your uh your price versus what your cost is yeah so it's really a pretty long process you have to be quite committed to the concept that you have and that you feel like it's really going to be successful to want to to go through all of this i guess yeah and i think the other thing is like somehow try to figure out a way to make a tiny batch of something at the beginning because unless you've ever done this like i think like tony fidel the guy who he designed the ipods and then he he now runs nest like you're not that dude like you might have a really brilliant idea but you're not going to know how to do it unless you are for some reason industrial designer you've been through this process just try to sell a very small amount of something because you have so much to learn it's not that much different than being a basketball player. Like you have to learn from doing it and you're going to screw up a ton of stuff and you're going to learn more things. And uh, listen, if you're just starting a business, you're not going to, you're not going to know what Shopify is. You might not know what a profit margin is. You might like literally have made, never made an Excel spreadsheet or open up uh, Photoshop or, you know, run a blog and you're, it's going to take you like a year just to wrap your, uh, you know, your head around this stuff. Oh, yeah, this stuff takes time. But they say, you know, it's Wait. overnight success, 10 years in the making. Yeah, standard. Yeah, completely. Um, and speaking of like those difficult first steps, maybe you could highlight a few of the main mistakes that you guys made or that you think entrepreneurs in your situation make so that people can try and avoid them. Yeah, when we got started, Shopify wasn't even really around. So, uh, you know, we had a or maybe Shopify was around just kind of purely as a back end, but they didn't have their themes. I think that was the case. So, you know, we hired some horrible Ukrainian designers and, you know, let's say paid them $5,000 for a hideous website. We got kind of like very simple, plain product photography done, probably cost us $500 or so, even though it was something I probably could have done myself. I've like you know, since moving on to the redesign, I've done all the photography myself. Do not pay a lot of money for the design of your website upfront. Part of running a website, having an e-commerce site is just simply collecting data on what works and what doesn't work. So if you have no idea what's working for you, it's hard to design a better site right off the bat. So like choose one of the like great Shopify themes. You can have like little bits of custom work done here or there, for, you know, paying a freelancer, you know, $50 an hour, but don't shell out 10 grand for a website um, that you have no idea if it's going to work or not. Probably my biggest piece of advice. So let's say you start working with a manufacturer, whether in the United States or in China or Vietnam or wherever, you're going to keep on hearing this term MOQ, minimum order quantity, and be so clear about what you're what you can actually buy from them, what that MOQ, the minimum amount of pieces you can buy or how much you can afford to spend. Don't work with someone uh, that you kind of can't afford to. Like if you your MOQ is 200 pieces, but they want you to buy 20,000 pieces, don't build uh, 10 samples of something and then say like, okay, let's uh, let's get that order 200 going because they're going to say hit the road um, and you can waste six months or a year. Another big piece of advice, don't quit your day job until you absolutely have to like make sure you're making enough money from your business to support yourself uh, you know don't let your 
the business you're starting kind of like be a fantasy life, like make sure it's a business where you're making money and eventually, you know, you can afford to pay yourself a few thousand dollars a month uh, without wrecking your business. Don't just go into it expecting to be able to support yourself immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Got to be realistic about these things, right? Got to keep the money coming in. Otherwise the business is going to fold if you don't have anywhere to support it. Yeah, completely. And live modestly, like live modestly even once you're making money. Yeah. Living modestly is something we specialize in. (laughs) So we're in Chiang Mai right now. Yeah. That's Um, great. Yeah. So our rent's $127 a month. (laughs) That's uh, That is so amazing. That's so wonderful. It's the cheapest apartment we've ever, ever stayed in, I think. And it's actually, I mean, it's only a studio apartment, but it's it's fine. How long have you guys been in uh, Thailand for? Uh, About three months now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, that's... We've been That's, moving around a little bit, but uh, we're in Chiang Mai now. Full time. I can't wait to spend some time there. It's great. I mean, yeah, in terms of living modestly, as we said, it's very easy to do here. We spend a few dollars a day on food and we get to eat out every day. You can do whatever you like in Thailand. I think that's why it's such a great place for a digital nomad. Because you can live modestly or you can live in the lap of luxury. Yeah, you if you can want. Ch- and everything in between. You can choose your own budget in Thailand and live accordingly is fantastic. That's great. I I think one more piece of advice about like starting company marketing, all that kind of stuff is like, you know, don't be full of shit. Like kind of be like, we're, we're a travel company and Fred and I love to travel. And we also, you know, we, now that we now have a team of seven, we're going, going to go on retreats a couple times a year and they're going to be, we're going to travel, you know, like that's, that's what we do. I think if you are like, let's say you're basically starting the company purely as like a business proposition, you're not truly passionate about it. Like in some way, I would like cop up to that fact or hire people who are passionate about it and then like run the company as like a, you know, like a dispassionate businessman. But don't like don't lie about what you do and don't uh, don't put up like a false face. People will be able to see through it. Yeah. No, completely. That's a good tip. I actually worked for someone in the past who knew was not passionate about the store, but everyone else who worked there was really passionate, but uh, they bought it just because they thought they'd make money off it. And it was very evident of that. So yeah, it's a, it's a good tip. You need to have people around that are passionate because if you're not, if you're just thinking, yeah, that's going to make me money, yeah. people are not going to, like consumers are not going to get on board with it. Yeah, completely. completely. Yeah. Well, so before we round up as well, as you were just saying about wanting to travel more and running a physical product business, the word physical product, it sort of makes people listening to that go, oh my God, that's it. I'm going to be grounded in LA forever. I'm never going to be able to leave because my business will die. It's like, I'll only get one week off a year. How do you actually balance the travel? How are you getting those products out without you having to be involved in tool and you can be anywhere? I think Fred and I, from the very beginning, like we wanted to design a company that would work for, let's say, our personalities. And I I don't want to say just lifestyles because it's not like I think we're both very disciplined, very like hardworking people. We didn't want necessarily want a traditional company. We're not like whatever, just traditional dudes. I'm I'm a filmmaker. Like I'm very honest. I, and from the day one when we started the company with Fred, like I was always going to be a guy making movies, working in Hollywood. Neither of us really wanted to be people like locked up in an office. Neither one of us. I think Fred wanted to like have a company where he could continue to travel. 
So we started to put systems in place that allowed us to do that from the very beginning. And we never wanted an office. We never wanted to like build the stuff ourselves. We were always willing to sacrifice a little money to run the company smarter and keep build the company we wanted. So, you know, there are a lot of people, let's say they're selling a hundred of something. They warehouse them all in their garage and pack the boxes themselves. You can pay Amazon or Shipwire equivalent companies, you know, maybe $5 to do that. When you're selling a product that's $200 a piece, you can afford those $5. More importantly, like as a company, you like learn how to, how to like have a warehouse. So we just like, you know, we, we never had to do it. And because, you know, we're, we're never going to own the the manufacturers that build our our bags. Like even Apple doesn't own their their factories at this point. We're not kind of physically constrained to one place. And um, you know, Fred and I have put a lot of thought in like what's the right software to run this business. And we you know we use the same stuff everybody else does. We use Slack and Asana and Dropbox. And uh, we don't need to be together kind of in person. And the other great secret of I don't know, of life is if you can kind of just shut up and do the work you need to do, you can get more done than just about anybody in the world by like sitting on your ass and working really hard for three or four hours a day. Um, and you have a lot of time then to do whatever you want. That's a, that's a Tim Ferriss dream. <laughs> There's some things like, look, you can't like you can't build a house, you know, in three hours a day or something like that. But if you're like a lot of people or a lot of people at corporate jobs where you are indeed, um, you know, sitting at a computer all day, if you're not like if you're not meeting with people, if you're not kind of like debating stuff in person for hours and hours, if you don't like there's not an endless amount of formality, you know, you, you can get a great amount of stuff done. If you run a blog, if you if you run a blog and you really worked on your blog for four hours a day, you know, you'd have a great like a killer blog and you could travel the world. We spend a lot of hours working on our blog that is for sure. and we do travel the world. So <laughs> I wish we only spent three hours a day on it, but um, we spend more than that. But that's because we have like five blogs. Well, now I feel like an awful person. No, no. no. We're, we're working towards to that. Down, yeah. yeah, we're working towards that. That is definitely that. the ultimate aim. You know, there are a lot of times when you do maybe have to work 20 hours a day or 80 hours in a week. Um, but there are a lot of times like we're hiring, uh, we've hired all these new people in the last week. And, you know, sometimes it's hard when the people realize like, oh, if I take care of all my tasks and do all my projects on this, you know, random Tuesday, I might only work for two hours. We're fine by that. Like we want to have, you know, we just care about the company. We don't care about like putting up a show of, uh, you know, working really hard. Yeah. And to be completely honest, if we did outsource a lot of our stuff that we're a little bit anally like, oh, but this is my creative. This is only I can do this perfectly. If we outsourced a lot of that, we would have a lot more free time. Yeah. And I mean, probably that like I'm, you know, I probably have like a slightly different relationship with like some of the stuff I do with movies than I than like I or we do with Tortuga because it's, you know, it's not just about like, a, you know, there's some things like in making a movie or being creative, there's some homework you need to do yourself. Conversely, like there's some data entry stuff that Fred or I have never needed to do ourselves yeah. for Tortuga. You can't outsource someone to direct this one scene for you or you. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I, I hope not. That's the scariest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to the bar, so I've got this guy from India who's just going to... He's just going to step in for this He's scene. on Skype. He's just going to talk through Skype. I've just booked him for an hour for $5. <laughs> and um, yeah, he's just going to direct the scene. I need a beer. <laughs> yeah, that would be... Uh, <laughs> the movie might not come out quite as good at the end if you... Uh, if you're doing that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, we are going to have to um, finish up there. We do normally have a question at the end where we, we always ask about the biggest mistake you've ever made, but I think we cover quite a few we mistakes did, and we might yeah. end up covering exactly the same material. So I think we're going to call it there. And so, so you're telling me I, I've made more mistakes than most people? I, I <laughs> no, probably, no, no. Uh, we, we usually yeah. say if you could go back in time and, and change one thing, what would it be? If you, you know, go back in time and tell yourself one bit of advice about how not to screw every, you know, screw up that particular thing, you know, what would you go back in time and tell yourself? But you kind of covered mistakes. Hey, but you can give us another one. If, if you, you got, go ahead, if you got another one. Well, actually, so this is kind of like non-Tortuga related. You know, I was a grad school and a film school student, and uh, I wish I had done more extravagant experiments kind of like at a younger age. But I guess like, let's say you do know you want to be like a serial entrepreneur. You want to, you know, you want to run a bunch of blogs and be able to travel the world. Like don't you when you're, let's say, 18 or 21 you don't need to like start the most perfect blog you're ever going to to have, but like just run a blog as, as an experiment. Even if you want, you know, one day you want to, you know, you want to have a company like outlier, like you're building pants with like the world's most sophisticated fabric. Okay. Like that's wonderful. You're not going to be able to do that when you're 19, but start another physical uh, product company, like sell whatever really amazing socks or shoelaces, but like get that experience on a small scale and you're going to screw everything up so badly but you'll get to learn a lot like don't be afraid um, to experiment and fail and learn like get really good at learning from your own failures yeah I think that's, that's pretty that's pretty much the key entrepreneur tip and we yeah yeah you've just you've just got to go for it you've got to start doing something you can't expect everything to be perfect from the start because it never ever is no, it's such a learning curve yeah has been for us has been for every single entrepreneur we've ever but isn't to. it really great like once you i've i don't know i realized this like a couple years ago there's like some process you go through like you've never done this before it's really hard it's really like kind of feels really scary or bad or something like that but then all of a sudden you're like you realize like oh i'm going through the process of learning something and then it becomes really enjoyable like once you do you know you guys know what i'm talking about or do i just sound like crazy no definitely when we were sitting down and learning all about marketing and all of that sort of stuff we were at first it's like what are they talking about and now it's just like oh Get it. I know what they're going on about. Fantastic. Yeah, now I see it in everyone else's website. It's one of those things when you learn something, you just see exactly what little marketing tricks they've used and what little copywriting tricks they've used. And you can sit there and appreciate it and go, ah. Oh, Nicely done. I see how huh. they're getting people to buy this product. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, awesome, guys. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. And enjoy Star Wars next week. I'm kind of jealous of you guys being in Thailand, but super cool. Hopefully we stay yeah. in touch. Yeah, we will. That'd we will. And um, yeah. so if people want to come and check out your business success, where do they go? They go to TortugaBackpacks.com. Cool. All right. Well, That's thanks easy. for coming on the show, Jeremy. Thank you, guys. Have a have a good day. Okay, it's almost the end of the show. Travel homework time! Travel homework time. Uh, this, of course, has been a real rudimentary first steps for thinking about getting a physical product out there, stuff you need to consider if you're going to do it. So could you create a physical product? Have you got something in mind? Start doing some market research. This is big step one, isn't it, really? Yeah. Just try and find out, is the product you're thinking of doing actually going to work? Is this viable? Brainstorm. Is it worth investing a bunch of money and getting a product brainstorm, together? Brainstorm all those ideas. Put all those ideas together and see whether or not something that could actually, A, benefit people, 
because that's what products are, you know. Solve a problem is really, problem. that's the thing. Solve a problem. If people don't have a problem, they don't necessarily need your product. Yeah. So there you go. Get out there, write some notes, try and figure out if you could put a physical product together. Good luck. Thanks for listening to the Travel Freedom Podcast. Show notes and resources for this episode are waiting for you at travelfreedompodcast.com. Join us again every Monday to learn how to supercharge your online income and travel like a prince on a pauper's budget. We are waiting for your comments and feedback, so tweet us at MyTravelFreedom. Or email info at travelfreedompodcast.com. I'm Tomo. And I'm Maxie. Catch us again every Monday on the Travel Freedom Podcast. Bye for now. Bye. 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 Bye.